You guys all did such a great job. Thank you for all of you that took time to prepare for the, in the choir and uh, just blessing us with music and the worship team here. And thank you for all coming and joining us here today at our Christmas service. This is a great time of year, a blessed time of year. I love it. I love just hearing the voices singing out the, the goodness of Jesus. This is great. And I hope you've been blessed and will continue to be blessed this week and all through the Christmas season. I want to take a bit of time today to talk about Christmas and to talk specifically about the incarnation. Now we've been studying on Sundays, we've been going through the book of Colossians in our Letters from Prison series and having a great time with that. And what we've been noticing in our study in Colossians is that Paul's been having to address a bit of an error that was creeping into the church, a, a false teaching that was coming in at the hands of some false teachers. And it was all to do with ultimately that incarnation. It was, it was an attack on and corruption of the person of Jesus Christ. It was changing the gospel message. It was an affront to the incarnation of Jesus. And the incarnation is such an important biblical doctrine that we are looking at. Yet like Many of our Christmas decorations, right? It's something that only comes out one time of the year, something we just look at for a brief time. And maybe for some of you here today, the incarnation is not something you've really even pondered or grasped at all, the significance of it. And I want to talk a bit about that today. The incarnation is the doctrine that in Jesus Christ, God took on humanity. He was clothed in human flesh. This happened, of course, at Jesus' birth that we celebrate here at, at Christmas time. Now, the Latin verb incarno is derived from those two words, in and carno, meaning quite literally to make into flesh. That's what we saw happen when Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem. We love to go on, on, on mission trips to Mexico. Anybody been to Mexico before? Love going there. And what I love about our Mexico trips of course, is, well, of course, it's, you know, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't get me wrong here. That's right at the top of it. That's not where I'm going with this. So, but kind of a little bit fleshy on my part to go with this. But what we love about going to Mexico, secondary, well beneath the whole purpose of focusing on Jesus and sharing Jesus, right? Well below all that priority. What's interesting about going to Mexico is hitting those taco stands on the side of the road, right? You know, you're with me, right? And of course, you can get a great carne asada Taco, right? Which is taco meaning with meat. That's what it means. A good steak, carne asada taco, or, you know, something of that sort. So good down there. It, taco Bell does no justice to what you can get down in Mexico. So next time we plan a mission trip, let that be a bit of inspiration. Of course, Jesus, focusing on Jesus being the inspiration, tacos a much lower secondary, but also very valid inspiration. So... In a roundabout way, you see, what we're talking about is that God came in the meat, in a sense. He came in the flesh. That's so important. Now, though he came in the flesh, he never gave up his divinity. This is important to, to look at and address, too, because a lot of times we can look at this as, though, okay, Jesus came born as a little baby. He gave up his divinity. He, he put away his divinity and then put on humanity. And these two things don't kind of blend together or mix together or are not compatible in a sense. We look at it that way oftentimes. 
But Jesus, when he came to this world, never gave up anything. He didn't give up his divinity. He simply added to it. And what he added to it was humanity. He put on human flesh. He became like one of us, you and I, to do an an, an incredible work for us. So we see that these two natures of God, divinity and humanity, are not separate, but they're joined together. And many cults have formed because they've gotten this wrong. It was happening in the early church. In the book of Colossians, Paul is having to continue to kind of confront that and, and head that off. What they were saying then is that Jesus couldn't have taken on flesh. What cults do today is kind of the opposite. They say Jesus only came in the flesh. He wasn't fully God. And so we see it is an attack and an affront on the incarnation. Here's what John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. He wrote this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is what? Is of God. Confessing that Jesus took on flesh. And verse three, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So it's a pretty remarkable thing that God would come and take on humanity for us. To think that he would leave the glories of heaven. He would leave the fellowship of the Trinity to come to a fallen world filled with sin, conflicts, fighting, selfishness, and all the like. And not only that he would come to this world, but that he would come in such a a humble way, born in a manger, born in an insignificant town of Bethlehem, that he would come as a baby. He could have skipped all that adolescent phase. Wouldn't that have been great to be able to do that, right? He could have done it. It would have been the same in my mind to go, I'm just going to come as a full-grown man. I'm going to come to the cross. I'm going to bypass the law that having to live among them part. I'll just kind of just sort of show up and do the work. But he came as a baby. He went through all the difficulties of growing up. He experienced all these things. Now, why would God come in that way? Why would God take on flesh, take on humanity? What's the purpose of the incarnation? Well, three things we're going to look at here today. First of all, for comprehension. Secondly, for demonstration. Thirdly, for salvation. Comprehension, demonstration, and salvation. Now, first of all, we understand that God is the one that created us all. He knows us more than we know ourselves. He sees us. He knows us. But he went beyond all that in becoming like us. Think about that. He became like us. And he did this to experience and to comprehend the fullness of humanity, to comprehend the life of humanity. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says, so this All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says much the same when it says, And the word became flesh, took on humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So understand that. God, Emmanuel, 
mean God with us. He came, dwelt among us. The word took on flesh, Jesus Christ. And tabernacle dwelt among us. He lived that life that we live. God is not some distant God with no comprehension of the struggles and the difficulties that you and I are gonna face sometimes on a day-to-day basis in this world. Jesus is not far removed from that. He lived it. He's been there. He experienced the joys of family gatherings. He also experienced the sorrows and the pain of death, loved ones, friends dying. Jesus went through testings and temptations. He knows what it's like to have the flesh yearn, long for the things that are not of God. He's experienced that very pull of temptation to walk away from the things of God. He was tested. He knows what that's like. He knows the struggle in resisting temptation and sin. He felt the stress and the weight of living sacrificially. In that regard, he is that great high priest for us who's able to sympathize with us in our weakness and be our help. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18 says, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Isn't that an encouragement to you? Anybody been tempted this last week? Anyone? Uh, A few, just like three of you. (laughs) My hand was up, four of us. The rest of you, what's your secret? Let me know. Because I would like to go through your kind of life, not be tempted. That would be wonderful. Tempted daily. We've all been there, but so has Jesus. He himself, it says, was tempted. And now he's able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How wonderful is that? That we have a sympathetic high priest who represents us to God, Jesus Christ, who has himself been tempted without sin, who's gone through the struggles, the difficulties of this life. He knows what you and I experience and go through. He's comprehended it. He knows it. And now we have one that we can go to to find that help and comfort and strength. And Tommy, that's a great hope for us today. And we can know that he understands. You see, God did not come to this earth as one of us to learn anything. God already knew it all. God didn't need to be made flesh to understand us more by experience. He came so that we would have an understanding that he knows, so that we could have an assurance, not not for, again, he didn't come for his learning. He came for our assurance. Since Jesus came and he lived in human bodily form, that he wasn't exempt from the difficulties in this world, we can know today that he understands what you're going through and that he calls you to come and find refuge, find help, find strength in him today, find that hope in him today. And not only did Jesus come and comprehend in a more fuller way what we experience as humans in this world, he came so that we could have a greater comprehension of the fullness of God. Because I'm sure a lot of you have at times thought, you know what, if I could just see God, 
If God would just appear, then I would have more of an understanding or more of an inclination to just really give my life to him and live for him. Then I would really be committed if I could just see God. But here's the great thing. Jesus came to do just that, to reveal God to us so that we could have a comprehension and an understanding of the greatness of God, the beauty, the majesty of God, to see the grace and the love and the forgiveness that Jesus embodied. He demonstrated that so that we could know God. John chapter 14, verse nine, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. So understand, Jesus came to this world, took on human flesh, and he's declared God. He's made God known. So we don't have to have some kind of vision or secret dream as some of those Gnostics in the church at Colossus were trying to say, no, we just look to Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 15, in fact, said that he is the image of the invisible God. He's the very bearer. He, he fully represents, not just represents, but he manifests who God is. When you look to Jesus, you see God fully. That's pretty incredible for our comprehension. And, and, and some of you might, again, be going, well, if I could just, if Jesus would just walk in and see, then, I, then that'd be great. But all we need to do is open up scripture, open up the word of God. And when we begin to read through the word of God, we see that everything is pointing to Jesus. It's revealing Jesus. And we get to grow in and know and see Jesus as we open up God's word. As we look to him, we're blessed and encouraged. So Jesus came and he made known who God is for our comprehension as well. Secondly, though, the incarnation brings a great demonstration. See, when Jesus came in this world, he demonstrated what it was like, what it looked like to live a life that was set apart to God. Jesus came in this world to do the will of the Father. And guess what? He succeeded in doing so. It says that he became obedient to the point of death. Philippians chapter two, verse eight, and this is important, and being found in appearance as a man, it says. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's huge. Jesus came as one of us and he lived a life that was completely set apart and surrendered to God to the point where he lived in complete sacrifice and submission, even to the point of death. So his life becomes not only an example and demonstration of a life now of self-sacrifice, a life that glorifies God, but it becomes now an inspiration for us to follow in his footsteps. He's lived it. He modeled it. And it becomes that encouragement and hope and, and inspiration for us to live likewise. First Peter chapter two, verse 21 says, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now we can look at that and go, well, yeah, of course he didn't, you know, revile or commit any sin or, you know, get angry. He was God. But again, the incarnation reveals that he came fully as man. He took on human flesh. 
He was tempted in all points, as we are. And he did not have to give in to that. He lived a life set apart for God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, also says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For, in verse 3 it says, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Do you see what the author of Hebrews is saying? Consider Jesus. Look, you know you've got it tough. Yeah, you do. Oh, you go through ups and downs. Yes, you do. You go through trials, temptations, suffering. Yes, you do. But consider Jesus who went through all that and much more. Who for the joy that it would produce endured the cross. Consider Jesus lest you become weary and discourage your souls. Understand that. Because of what we see in the incarnation, Jesus coming into this world, living a life like you and I have had to live with difficulties, suffering at times, Jesus himself went through that. And yet God greatly exalted him. God brought him through. Jesus lived in full obedience. So consider him. Or else... As the author says, you become weary and discouraged. You wonder, what's the point? Jesus reveals the point. That there's life to be found in him. That he's the answer. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus provides all that for us. Consider Jesus. Consider how he came into this world into a people that would scorn and reject him. Consider Jesus as he left his rightful place in glory to be laid in a feeding trough and in a smelly stable. Consider Jesus who willingly did this to accomplish the Father's will. Jesus went all out, even when it was costly. May his example and demonstration be that inspiration and encouragement that we need to live in like manner. 1 John 2, 6 says, He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Are we following in his steps? May we consider him and look unto him and be encouraged to do so. Lastly, probably the greatest reason, definitely the greatest reason that Jesus came to this world was for salvation. We've seen the comprehension, the demonstration, but now we look at the salvation that was provided for us. And it's all found right in the very name of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 says, And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The very name Jesus, Yeshua, means Jehovah, Yahweh, saves. It's all found in his very name. The very mission of which he came to this world was to save a people that couldn't save themselves. The greatest reason I'd say that God took on flesh is that he could provide Salvation for all of humanity. You see, according to the law, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. And since all of us have sinned, 
Every single one of us in this room, yep, that's right, every single one of us have sinned. Guess what? None of us were worthy to offer our life as that good and perfect sacrifice to provide salvation. Therefore, the Lord Jesus, because of his great love for mankind, he took on the form of a human being so that he could represent God to us, but then represent us to God as our great high priest. He came perfectly. He came sinlessly and offered his life as a sacrifice for the salvation of all. He became like one of us so that he could represent us and do for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. I love how the author of Hebrews encapsulates that in Hebrews chapter 10, verse five, says this, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering he did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. He prepared a body for me, why? To pay that sacrifice. Verse 10 goes on to say, by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all, you see, Every sacrifice that was offered in the Old Testament was a, a picture of what Jesus would once do. Those sacrifices were insufficient because they couldn't atone for our sins. They couldn't cover us. They couldn't take away sin. He had to keep bringing sacrifices. But now Jesus comes in the flesh, in human form, to take that place that we couldn't do for ourselves, to go to the cross and lay his body down as a sacrifice so we could be forgiven, so that our sins could be atoned for, so that we could be cleansed and sins removed once and for all through that sacrifice that was committed once for all, it says. See, what we celebrate here at Christmas is not so much the birth of Jesus, as sweet as that is, and as, as important as that is, we're thankful that Jesus came as one of us. And he went through the whole gamut of humanity, being born as a baby, having to go through adolescence and all the like. He went through it all. But that's not exactly where we stop in the celebration. See, we celebrate the fact that God came and took on human flesh, that he came to seek and save us and redeem us through his life, through his sacrifice that he could do fully and completely. That's the incarnation. That's what we celebrate. That's what we're thankful for this time of year. And I don't know if all of you here today have committed your life to Jesus just as he's committed himself to you. Maybe this is something you've been putting off or you've shown up today because it's Christmas time and it's the thing to do. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're watching online. We're glad all of you that are in the fellowship hall in the overflow room. Hello, thank you for being here and for having to be there in the fellowship hall. We're glad you're still there. Um, but I don't know where all of you guys are at, but I want to ask you an important question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Because it's only in him that we have eternal life in the hope of heaven. It's not by being a good person or doing good things. All of that falls short. All that falls short of God's standard of righteousness and holiness. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, into this world as one of us. Because he was perfect. He committed no sin. He and he alone is the only way by which we can be right with God. Jesus laid his life down on a cross. He died and he rose again. 
showing that life is found in him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we now, through trust in Jesus, might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the greatest gift you'll ever receive. I know a lot of you are probably looking forward to what's under the tree this December 25th, but the greatest gift you'll ever receive is life in Jesus. It's offered freely by his grace. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's received by simply putting your trust in the work Jesus did for you. If you've not done that today, I encourage you, call it to Jesus. The Bible simply says that we need to be born again. You're not born again by living a good life. You're born again by admitting your sin, saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Cleanse me. Come into my life, be my Lord and my Savior. That's what it means to be born again. When you do that, you become a child of God. We have the great assurance of salvation, of eternal life. Receive Jesus today and be thankful today for the incarnation that he came to do a work for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that we can comprehend him. And he's comprehended everything about us. He's demonstrated that we can continue on through all of life's trials and difficulties because Jesus modeled it for us. That would be your inspiration. Let's thank the Lord for that great salvation. The choir's gonna come and they're going to remind us of that great work of salvation in this last song they're gonna sing for us today. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for just this time to focus on that birth of Jesus and to see again and be reminded of why you came. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you came to this world as one of us to do that work that we can do for ourselves in saving us. You needed so much more. God, it's all wrapped up in you. And I pray that this Christmas season, we would not have our eyes or our, our thoughts distracted on other things, but that we would keep you at the forefront of everything we do this Christmas season, that you would be the reason that we're celebrating here this year. And we thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for your life that was given sacrificially and completely that we could be saved. In you, we are told in Colossians, dwells the fullness of God bodily, and we are complete in you. So let me we find our completion in you by living for you, surrendering to you, and receiving your free gift of salvation. We pray this in your name. Amen.